When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about Ben Affleck's self-reflection on why he stepped away from the Batman. Then I'm going to be talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark is actually renewed for a second season. If you're not familiar with Are You Afraid of the Dark, it's actually from the 1990s show where a bunch of kids go around telling scary stories, and those stories come to life through the campfire itself. And in 2019, Nickelodeon decided to go ahead and reboot it for a limited series, and they're, now they're deciding to go ahead and do a second season. So I'm going to be talking about that. Then Tom Holland got interviewed by IGN and told them that Uncharted is set to begin shooting in four weeks. Matt Reeves' year one connection, he took to Twitter yesterday to talk about how it's actually going to be, the Batman movie is actually going to be in connection with year one of Batman and also two it was actually Bruce Wayne's birthday which is also Batman's birthday so happy birthday Bruce and then Nicolas Cage is actually going to be in another movie it's called The Unbearable Weight of a Massive Talent this is actually a movie starring himself that's right he's not going to be playing any other character or anything like that he's going to be playing Nicolas Cage and a matter of fact, they're supposed to be recreating scenes from Nicolas Cage movies. So that's going to be pretty interesting to see on the screen. And then topic number six is uh, one of my fans decided to go ahead and send this in. And what they asked was, with the success of video game movies directed like Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog, compared to years before Super Mario Brothers, how has it changed? I'm going to be talking about that. And do films and shows have underlying themes unless the theme is Bradley obvious? Or do we protractuate to push our own agendas? That's actually another question that one of our fans went on ahead and sent in. So I'm going to be covering that. But let's go ahead and get into this Ben Affleck thing. So I'm glad that he is actually talking about it. Because I feel like that, you know, I feel bad for the guy. Because I thought that he did a fantastic job playing Batman and Batman versus Superman, and of course, of course, with Justice League and everything else, with the uh, Zack Snyder leaving because of his daughter committing suicide, and then the different direction that Joss Whedon decided to do with Justice League, and everything, made me not even care for Justice League. But all that aside, you can actually tell that Ben was actually battling with his own demons, in a sense. Because of the fact that he was dealing with alcoholism. And not only that, but even Jennifer Gardner, his own wife, saw that she, he was having a problem. As a matter of fact, it was actually the downfall of his divorce. And another thing, too, is she actually saw in a magazine or on the internet. I forgot how the story was actually played out. It was either one of the two. But she actually saw large crates near near his house where they were actually loading it up to take it into his house. And she realizes that those were actually wine bottles, uh, crates of wine. And she, she called up Ben. She said, look, this is unhealthy. I'm going to have to get you some help. So she calls up his sponsor and then he checks himself into rehab. 
And ever since then, we weren't sure if Ben was actually going to be able to play Batman again or anything like that, or if his schedule was going to change because he's in rehab or anything like that. And another thing, too, is he was actually parading the fact that, you know, he's going to be an eight for Matt Reeves for this new Batman movie and everything. And, of course, you know, it's all hype. It's all stuff just to get us excited about. But at the same time, there's, like, a lot of negativity during that time of his whole entire career. He became a meme. Not only did he become a meme, but it also came to the fact that, you know, he, like I said, he was dealing with his own demons. But we also knew for a fact that he wasn't going to be Batman anymore. This thing is going to be on a whole new different direction than what Matt Reeves, what Matt Reeves doing everything. So... Pretty much we already knew that Ben was going to be out and some other guy, some other actor was actually going to be taking Ben Affleck's spot. But, you know, this is what uh, Ben Affleck told the New York Times. I drink rel- relatively normally for a, no- for a long time. What happened was that I started drinking more and more. When my marriage was falling apart, this was 2015, 2016. My drinking, of course, created more marital problems. That's what I was mentioning before, where that was the collapse of his marriage with Jennifer Garner. And also, too, he he was actually dealing with his own demons. But another thing, too, is that his I believe that his own friend even stepped in and everything and helped him out. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that Matt Damon said this, but, you know, I could end up it could be somebody else. But this is what I'm assuming. He stepped aside, allowing Matt Reeves to take over and Robert Pattinson to do to don the uh, the cow. After deciding to deciding that the troubleshoot troubleshoot for Justice League has sapped his interest, Affleck never seemed to enjoy his time as Batman. His sullen demeanor while promoting Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice in 2016, resulting in the hit meme "Sad Affleck." That's what I was talking about before about how he actually turned into a meme. I showed somebody the Batman script. Affleck recalled, "They said I think the script is good. I also think that think you'll drink yourself to death if you go through the through what you just went through again." So there's that, and I like the fact that you know he. He stepped aside and everything, analyzed the problem, and said, you know what, I'm going to go on ahead and just hang up the bat suit and let somebody else take the reins. I think that was actually a fair thing to do, especially whenever he realizes that he does have a problem with alcohol. And, you know, any type of drug, any type of alcohol or anything like that, it's actually hard to actually stop. And I have to commence him... 100% that he's actually is sober now and he's actually trying to do better matter of fact the way back is actually something that I do want to see because you can actually tell in the trailer that is that's his own reflection of the actual addiction in himself being addicted to alcohol and stuff like that and seeing that whole entire battle being played out on the screen and another thing too is for someone to actually pretend that they're drinking on the set and with fake beer, that has to be something that is really hard and tough to actually swallow, no pun intended, for and everything. Because of the fact that, you know, you're dealing with your own demons with alcoholism. You know you're an addict for alcohol. And here you are playing a role where you're addicted to alcohol, so therefore you actually have to 
pretend that you're swallowing beer when you're really not swallowing beer and that actually has to do that actually has to amplify your addiction even more or have that draw to actually want a drink and I have to say I mean I'm excited to see this movie for the way back I really enjoyed the trailer I real I and you know what some people said that they they believe that they saw the whole entire movie, but either way it goes, go out and see it, go out and support it, because I feel like it's one of those movies that can actually help you through some type of addiction that you might have. It might not be alcohol, it may not be drugs or anything like that, but I believe that pull will actually go on ahead and help you. But with this whole entire thing, now him talking about it, I'm okay with him talking about it and reflecting on it because everybody always regrets something that they've done in their past life. And, you know, for him to come out and say, look, this is what the issue was before. And I just want to explain why I had to step away from this project and why it was actually bringing me down, which would actually cause more problems for me with my drinking. And I have to convince him hands down on that. And everything because of the fact that he actually was aware of what he was doing. He knew it was bringing him down. So he went on ahead, self-terminated it, and he put it on to somebody else to actually take on the reins. And I would have loved to see him and Joe Maganello fight against each other with Joe Maganello as Deathstroke and him as Batman. Especially with the how tall they are and everything and things like that. But I care about mental health more than I do in an actual movie. And that's another thing, too. I'm just using this as an example. And I know that might be chasing rabbits. But it's just something that I feel like that's laid up on my, on my heart right now. Is the fact with the Walking Phoenix Joker movie, I would feel like... And even on 60 Minutes, he even admitted that he, the role for the Joker is still attached to him in some way. And, you know, it's hard for him, it was hard for him to actually separate himself from the character of the Joker... And everything, even after filming. And I was, that was what I was mainly afraid of. Is like, if they did do a sequel, how long would that sequel actually take place after this first one? Are they going to film it right away? Or are they going to take time to build and build the script for it? And if that was the case, if they were actually going to do it, I'm not saying they are because of the fact that that has been debunked. But if they were, that's going to take a whole toll on his whole entire mental health. Not to mention he would have to get skinny, really skinny again and starve himself again, which is also not good for his body. But, you know, like I said, I care more about mental health. I care more about the person than I do about a movie. And you know what? Ben, ben Affleck is a great actor and everything. I used to not be a big, huge Ben Affleck fan, but what won me over was Argo and then The Town and then other movies after that. But... It's just sad to see that, you know, we forget that these people are normal people just like us. Yeah, they, they're rich and famous, but they struggle with everyday life just like we do. We, they have their own demons that they battle with. And, you know, it just sucks that, you know, he went on a hit and he went on this addiction and everything with alcoholism. And which is not hard to do because everybody is, addi- is going to be addicted to something. And it was just his drug of choice was alcohol. And to go on that path and to go where he is now, I'm glad that he's better. I'm glad that he is back. I'm glad that he's sober now. So I'm glad that he did that whole entire 
360 on that because of the fact that I don't like seeing people suffer with drugs or alcohol and things like that. And mental health is the biggest thing in our whole entire community now where you see somebody being addicted to something and then you want to go ahead and try and help them and seek help. And a matter of fact, I recommend people, if you know someone that's addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything like that, help them, guide them, lift them up, do what you have to do to make them live a longer life and a happier life. But anyways, that's just my own little food for thought. But now I'm going to be talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, you know, it got renewed for a second season. And I have to say, I did enjoy Are You Afraid of the Dark for a reboot, for a limited series. But there was a couple of things that was missing for me. Number one, I missed the theme, the theme song was there. But I missed the creepiness, the airiness of it, the long draw of that theme song. And it just didn't work. It just didn't pan out for me and everything. And then I liked the fact that they still kept the campfire theme in the show. But I really wanted it to be about another character like they normally do. They pick out one story, which they did in the campfire. And then they tell that story. But in this one, it has like a very goosebumps kind of feel to it where they tell the story... They choose the story, they put, the the Midnight Society throws the powder or whatever in it, and next thing you know it, they tell tell the story about a haunted carnival, and then all of a sudden, the haunted carnival is actually in their town. It's kind of like a Goosebumps kind of feel to it. And I just wish that they would have went on ahead and did, like, a campfire story, rather than it focus on the actual characters themselves. But, you know, I'd have to say, I'm hoping that they actually go the direction of what the 1990s... TV show was because I really love the 1990s TV show for Are You Afraid of the Dark? I always tuned in for Snick at Night. And, you know, if you don't know what Snick at Night was, it was just one of those things where teenagers can go ahead or preteens can go ahead and watch something that's a little bit more not so kid friendly, more like a young adults kind of thing to where you can watch certain shows without having to worry about, um, some baby sh- baby type shows. But, you know, I liked uh, Hey Arnold. I liked all those shows back in Nickelodeon days and stuff like that. And Snick at Night was my thing. And tuning into Are You Afraid of the Dark was one of my favorite things to do on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock. And, matter of fact, it might have been before 8. I'm not 100% sure because it's been so long. But I never missed an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark. And... I want them to focus on just them telling the Midnight Society, telling ghost stories, getting the groundwork where it was once was, and everything for from the nineteen nineties TV show because that's what Are You Afraid of the Dark is, and I understand they were trying to make it different. I understand that they were actually rebooting it for a new generation, but I would I just would like to actually introduce. If I had kids, I would want them to be introduced into the way that I was introduced to a certain show to get the understanding of what I grew up with. But, you know, it has that little flavor there of Are You Afraid of the Dark with the theme songs. It does have the Midnight Society. It does have the campfire. It just doesn't have that one centered story where it's actually another character playing out that story. And that's something that I actually missed. But overall, I did have some fun with it. 
But there's other stuff that, you know, there's always room for improvement if they choose to do so. So um, I can't wait to actually see what they're going to do with this new second season. But we're just going to have to wait and see. But now I'm going to go on ahead and talk about Uncharted. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I first saw this, I'm like, okay, when pigs fly, this thing is actually going to be taken off. There's no way that this movie's going to be getting done. There's been numerous of directors leaving over creative differences and everything else. And I'm like, this thing is never going to happen. And I want this movie to happen. Like I said before in all some of the episodes that I've actually talked about, I would love to see an Uncharted movie actually happen. I would love to see it get off the ground. It, just at that time, I just didn't think it was highly like, likely because of the fact of all the problems they were having. Every single time when you would have a new director, that other director would exit and another director would actually come in. Either it was scheduling conflicts or it was problems with the direction that the studios wanted them to go in. And now it looks like, based off of the interview from IGN with Tom Holland, it looks like it's now back on track. It looks like that it wants to, they, they're actually having a full-blown plan now to where they're going to actually be filming in about four weeks. And you know what? That that's actually puts it around in March, which is actually perfect. You can actually get to maybe a 2022, maybe 2021 release date, or maybe 2022 release date. But I was just going off the top of my head and speculating. So don't put that, um, so don't quote me on that. But, you know, I think that there's a reason to be excited for this game, this video game-based movie, because of the fact that, you know, I'm going to get to this in a few minutes, but we had two successful video game-based movies. We had Detective Pikachu, which was loosely based off of Pokemon, and it actually worked and benefited the studios for that. And then Sonic the Hedgehog has actually done really well at the box office over this weekend, and people showed the support of the studios by going out and seeing this because everybody, let's just face it, nobody really cared for the way that Sonic actually looked in that first trailer. So they went on ahead and they changed a few things up to make it look like a Sonic a Hedgehog type movie. And, you know, some people loved it, some people didn't, you know, just like any other movie. But I haven't seen it yet, so I don't, I can't judge it. But, you know, it just makes me happy to see that we have two successful video game based movies now. And it's not like how it was before. And I'm going to get to that too later on. I don't want to go in ahead and steal my own thunder with that. But, you know, and I want to see an Uncharted movie. And based off of what Tom Holland had said, he said that we start shooting in like four weeks. Mark Wahlberg is going to be be amazing as Sully. The stunt department that we have out there in Berlin have done an amazing job already prepping the stunts, and it's going to be an exciting one. And like I said, it seems like the film that had such a hard time getting off the ground, it's hard to believe the shooting on the project could actually get started as soon as, so soon. The film has been a series of com- complications, with, like I said, with the directors leaving and stuff like that. And then Tom Holland dropping this little bit of news. It does get you excited that, you know, production is actually going to break ground in four weeks. But until they actually say production has begun on Uncharted, 
that's when we can actually get excited. Don't get me wrong. What Tom is saying can actually get you excited and everything else. But we've heard stuff like this over and over again to the point where like, okay, who are, you can only yell wolf, cry wolf so many times until we don't believe you. So it's like, I want to be excited, but at the same time, I can't get excited over this. But, you know, and, you know, I really like the Uncharted video games. I played all three of them. I haven't played the fourth one or anything like that. But as soon as I found out, you know, that this movie was happening, I decided to go on ahead and try out the video games. And the video games is very well done. And I could actually see Tom Holland playing a young Drake, especially with uh, the second or maybe the third video game where... He breaks into this um, museum and he tries to take the take a ring, take this ring, and I can actually see him that being played out. I can actually see him doing the stunts, climbing the walls, doing everything that a young Drake does, and have that little Indiana Jones kind of flavor to it. So with this news of him saying that, you know, this thing is going to actually happen. I'm kind of lukewarm about it. Like, on one side of it, it's like, yay, I'm happy. On the other hand, it's like, okay, you cried wolf way too many times. Until the studios, until someone says that they broke ground in four weeks in March, there's a reason to be excited about it. But, like I said, I'm very lukewarm about it. I want to be excited. I want to be psyched up with everybody and everything. But I really can't at this very moment. Yet again, I'm, don't get me wrong. Everybody's even asking me this too. Is this just Tom just being Tom? Or is this actually factual? Is this actually true? And based off of his his interview and everything, he's actually, I have to say, he's actually being 100% honest about it. He goes, if I'm honest, one of my favorite video games have it ever is the fourth Uncharted. Unbelievable. And lots of, the uh, inspiration from the film has come from that game in particular. And so that tells me that, you know, this thing might actually start happening. That also tells me, too, that there's a reason fans can actually be excited for something that could actually happen. But the tantalization of the fact that it's been off the ground, on the, off the ground yet... It hasn't, uh, there's really not that much of excitement yet. The tambalization is not there. The realization of it getting off the ground is not there yet. So now I'm going to talk about Matt Reeves' year one connection. And, you know, I like the fact that he's actually giving us tidbits of more information on what we're getting to know. Because here's the thing. We don't really know the plot. We don't really know what we're getting. We heard rumors and speculations of uh, what Matt is actually working on. But we weren't 100% sure of what exactly he was doing. And, you know, it makes me excited to know that he's actually wanting the fans to actually be excited about this. And this is what Matt Reeves said on Twitter yesterday. Um is going to be shared at a panel, okay, with his film reportedly set to explore the hero and his younger years. His tweet appears to be Reeves passionately hinting at a connection between Frank Miller's story and the film. So I'm liking the fact that, you know, we are going to get this young 
Bruce Wayne, which is something that we hadn't had in a while. Not since the Christian Bale one, if you think about it. And it's going to set up, I think it might be in the 80s. I'm not 100% sure if, if they're going to set it in the 80s or gonna, they're going to change a few things up to where it's in a 2020 kind of era. But it gives me something to be excited about with this because he actually knows the direction that he actually wants to take for it. He knows how to cast great uh, actors and knows how to get actors to do the job that he wants done and gets the uh, great work out of his actors because that's what a great director does and only that but if you even followed his work with like the uh planet of the apes movies and stuff like in those movies and everything i have to say i only saw the very first planet of the apes movie but it made me care i never would have thought that he would actually let make me care about a cgi ape named caesar and it just goes to show you how talented Andy Serkis is and everything whenever he they were doing Caesar. And it made me it made me care he made me care about an ape. He made me care about a CGI character and have that emotional attachment to that character to where I can actually am afraid to see what's gonna happen to Caesar. Is it gonna make it out of things? Is this gonna thing gonna be worse whenever they actually take over uh New York? What's gonna happen with the humans? And stuff like that. That's what makes you want to come back for the other two movies. But for me, the first one just did me in. I really liked the Planet of the Apes movie. I really liked the direction that he actually took with the very first film. But I didn't feel like the need to actually go and visit the other two films. But I might actually try and visit them sometime later on. But you can't deny that Matt Reeves doesn't cast great actors because he does. And, you know, I like the fact that he's actually using some unknown cast members. He's actually using um, one actor from Boardwalk Empire. He's using just about anybody he can to make this film. And Colin Farrell as the Penguin and everything. I'm wondering what kind of route they're actually going to go with with, him, with Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Is he going to be a skinny penguin? Is he going to put on a fat suit? Is this going to be the penguin from the comics? Is this going to be like a Christopher Nolan's version of what penguin would be? And stuff like that. That's what I want to know. I want to know and see that. See what they're going to be doing with that. But it gets, like I said, it gives you something to actually look forward to. It gives you some information on stuff that we didn't know before. And, you know, like I said, we heard r- rumors. We heard speculations of what this Matt Reeves... Batman is going to look like. We know that it was going to be a year one kind of Batman. We already knew that he was taken from the Frank Miller's uh, pages, but we don't know if he's still going to use the 1980s um, setting or if he's actually going to be using the whole entire 2020 mixed in with year one. So that's going to be pretty interesting on how they're actually going to do it. But, you know, Batman is actually one of my favorite characters within the DC universe, especially whenever you look at the villains that that Batman actually has, aside from Joker and Harley and all that. Clayface, you actually have Black Mask, which I wish that they didn't do what they did with Birds of Prey, so we can actually have a proper Black Mask uh, villain. But anyways, as a story for another time, but... You know, the villains and everything in the DC Universe is really strong. They In, in the comics, they have layers to those uh, characters. I just wish that they would actually amplify them and put those layers onto the screen the way they were portrayed on the comic book pages. But 
I have a feeling that Matt Reeves' mind actually changed and paved the way how we actually view DC movies coming up. But we're just going to have to wait and see. So now, next on the list is going to be the unbearable weight of a massive talent to recreate, uh, and get this, they're going to be recreating scenes from Nic- other Nicolas Cage movies. So, basically, he's going to be playing two fictionalized uh, versions of himself, a present-day version and a younger one. It's further revealed that the upcoming meta film will be featuring reenactments of scenes from some of his iconic movies such as 1997's Con Air and Face Off. Cage told the, Empi- told the Empire, which is Empire Magazine, it is stylized version of me and the fact that I, I even have to refer to myself in the third person makes me extremely uncomfortable, Cage said. There are many scenes in the movie where modern or contemporary, here we go, uh, Nick Cage, and then young Nick Cage are colliding and arguing and battling it out. It is acrobatic approach to acting, he added. I don't like to look back, but this movie kind of pushes it all back in my face. I'm probably going to have to look at the couple of the movies from the past again before I think we're going to have to reenact some of the sequences. It's like walking through a cabinet of Dr. College Girl version of Con Air and Face Off. So, you know, I'm happy that that we're actually going to probably get to see Nicolas Cage in Con Air and also see him reenact some stuff from Face Off. And, you know, we already know maybe they might actually put some scenes into the... um, into this movie as well. I'm not sure if they're going to do CGI like they did with um, The Irishman or anything like that. But, you know, I've been wanting to see Nicolas Cage have a comeback. So if he ends up having a comeback as himself, that is going to be something that hasn't really been done before where a car- where he's going to be playing, where an actor's going to be playing himself, which is something that hasn't been done. And if he makes this comeback, that's going to be so awesome to actually see on the big screen. And then him playing that character of Face Off, which is one of my favorite villains that Nicolas Cage has ever done, that's going to leave me with goosebumps to actually see that character again on the big screen. Not only that, but I even liked him and Conair as well and put the bunny down was actually one of the cheesiest, funniest lines in Conair. And then, of course, you also have him on top of his peak during that time with Face Off as well as Conair. And Nicolas Cage is a great actor. And he's just got himself into some debt. He got himself into some trouble that he's been trying to get himself out of. And especially when he's bought castles, he wasted his money on certain things, and now he's looking for a comeback. And I'm always rooting for Nicolas Cage. I'm always rooting for an actor who hasn't been doing the greatest job of acting and then wanting them to succeed again, to want to put their names out there again. And Nicolas Cage has always been one of those guys that I'm always rooting for. I'm always rooting for Nicolas Cage because I know the level of acting he can do. Don't forget, he's an Academy Award-nominated actor. And not only that, but I think he even won an Academy Award. I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to have a description of the link and everything up uh, if you want to send me in some voicemail messages. But, you know, you can't deny the incredibility that Nicolas Cage has whenever it goes down to his acting. 
And to know that he's actually going to be playing himself in this and actually seeing him reenact some of the scenes from other movies, it's going to have that nostalgia factor there. But I'm hoping that that's not all it's going to be cracked up to be. Don't get me wrong. I like nostalgia, but I don't want it to be like overbearing. It's like, okay, I remember when you did this. I remember that. I remember Con Air. I remember... Uh, honeymoon in Vegas, leaving Las Vegas. I remember when you did that, but I liked too for him to actually self reflect on his own self in the present time, which is something they're actually saying that they're gonna do. But I'm hoping that it's not like where they're just going back and then that's it, and there's like hardly any reflection, even though in the premise it says that they actually are gonna be focusing focusing on the present as well. But I'm just hoping that they just don't go on ahead and go into the direction of just focusing on his past. Because I want to see them actually focus on the present as well. I want to have it both ends. I want to actually have it where it's weighed evenly. But, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how that's actually going to be portrayed. I think that this movie is actually going to be a fantastically well done movie. And I think this is actually going to be his comeback. I really do. I really had that feeling. I had that feeling before with him and it didn't happen. But I just have a feeling that this might actually be something for Nicolas Cage to actually do. He actually feels passionate about this project. He actually feels like that he can actually do this. So let him go on ahead and do it. Let him make this movie. Let him let us see what he can do with it. And I think that he deserves all the all the luck in the world to actually see if he can make this comeback. So, with that being said, I'm going to be moving down to topic number six. And that is with the success of video game movies detect, like Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. How does that compare to years before the Super Mario Brothers? Okay, so I did the good and the bad and the ugly top ten list with my friend Rick when we were talking about the good and the bad uh, video game video game adaptations. But I'm going to go on ahead and go up a little bit further with this. Now, back in the 90s when Super Mario Brothers was made, we didn't have an Italian guy playing the Mario Brothers. We had John Lugazamo, who was a great actor, playing an Italian plumber named Luigi. We had the guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit playing... Um, Super Mario Brothers. As a matter of fact, he was even showing up to on set drunk and everything. He really didn't like, didn't want to be there or anything like that. You had an actor who didn't care about the role. And not only that, but the way that it was written in the 90s and everything, you can actually tell that it was actually one of those cringeworthy dialogues to where, you know, it was very, has a very 90s feel to it. And video game adaptation movies was probably a joke during that time where they didn't think that they could actually capitalize on it other than the name. So therefore, they made it completely different than what the actual video game actually is. And so they just slapped Super Mario Brothers on it, did a couple of little things here and there, tip of the hats to the video game. Nintendo wasn't pleased with it, so therefore that's why we don't have that many Nintendo uh, video game adaptations because of Super Mario Brothers. And there's that. But, you know, let's fast forward a little bit now. You know, we have Sonic the Hedgehog who just bit through um, Birds of Prey like it was nothing. And that's that was supposed to be a big, huge comic book DC property. And it just blew on by her like nothing. 
And then Detective Pikachu. I like the fact that they went on ahead and loosely based Pokemon off of Detective Pikachu. Because I think that was actually the smart, smartest thing to do. Instead of trying to get these characters involved, catching Pokemon and everything else, and trying to make a, a story out of that. To me, it was more fascinating over the fact that, you know, you have a character who lost his dad, and he doesn't know why he lost his dad. He doesn't know why his dad is dead or anything like that. So it was up to him and Pikachu, this character and uh, Pikachu, this human, to go on ahead and find out why his father died. And, of course, he's the only one that can actually talk to Pokemon. And what I mean by he, I mean the human that can actually talk to the Pokemon. And, you know, I like that aspect of the fact that, you know, they actually kept true to the look of the Pokemon. They actually got the artist that actually made the Pokemon. And they actually knew the theme, the premise, and everything else that they wanted to do with it. And also, too, with the success of Pokemon Go, they decided to go on ahead and greenlit like this thing before the hype died down. And a matter of fact, the hype is still there a little bit, but not as much as it was whenever the game first launched. And, you know, it was, to be honest with you, it was still a success and everything, and I'm glad that that video game movie is actually a success, so that way we can have more movies. And, like I said, Sonic the Hedgehog blew on by. And fans actually showed the support of Sonic the Hedgehog, because of the fact that they didn't like the look of the way the studios actually made Sonic and everything. So the studios went back, redid it, and now that's how we actually have Sonic looking the way he did does. Another thing, too, is compared to what the 90s was, the writing is a lot different compared to where, where it was back then. We're a lot more serious about our movies. We're a lot more serious about where the groundwork is actually coming from. We know, we are actually serious about the source material, and fans actually care, and the studios are actually taking that into consideration that we actually care about these characters and know what we're getting ourselves into. And doing a video game adaptation adaptation movie, sorry about that, I got tongue tied, but adaptation movie is actually a hard thing to do, especially whenever you're actually playing a video game. Because don't forget, when you're playing a video game, you have a big, huge expansion of a world that you're invested in. With a movie, you're only invested into so much that the studios are going to allow you to go into. So, you know, storytelling is going to be a little bit different. So therefore, they have to make a movie that's two and a half hours long to actually grab you in for two and a half hours and actually get you sold on the plot and actually get you sold on the characters and they might actually have to change a few things up to make their universe in the movie universe different from what we are used to but it might actually still feel and look like the video game that we actually played but you know what i'm actually excited that netflix is actually taking over the resident evil series uh tv series because i'm a huge resident evil fan so to actually know that is actually gonna get it's due is actually something that I'm excited about because I didn't really care for the other Resident Evil movies other than the first one. And to know that they're actually taking their time to develop this makes me even happier. But Sonic the Hedgehog and everything, I'm happy with the success of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm happy with the success of Detective Pikachu. And, you know, if you're a gamer, you should be happy at the fact that those two movies are actually successful. 
And I wanted Assassin's Creed to be just as successful as these two films, but let's just be honest. They changed up the whole entire... They made a whole new character for Assassin's Creed. They didn't make it like an Assassin's Creed-type movie and everything. So, therefore, it was a letdown. And so, you know, I feel like now that they know us, the fans, are actually caring about the source material and where it's coming from, they're actually taking their time to develop these things and actually knowing what's going to gravitate us towards going out and seeing and supporting a movie that's based off a video game. So, that's just my take on it. Tell me what you guys think about that. But I'm actually going to be moving on to one more question. And this, like I said, this is about do films and shows have underlying themes unless unless they are uh, brazzly obvious. Now, here's the thing. What he means by that, what this fan means by that is, like, for instance, like, with James Cameron making Avatar, that's basically about environmental. And does every movie have to be something like that? And here's the thing. Not every movie is going to be politically correct. Not every movie is going to have some type of political agenda on it. And he, and another thing he actually mentioned was Star Wars Rogue One. And Rogue, Star Wars is just a fun time at the movies where you don't have to think about political stuff or anything like that. As a matter of fact, whenever I watched all the other sequels after Empire and everything, I never once did I ever think that, you know that these are actually political movies. These are just one of those movies that you can actually stuff your face with popcorn for a couple of hours and revisit some old characters that you haven't seen in 30 years and just watch it for what it is. And there's no political agenda behind it. It's just a fun time at the movies to be able to revisit your old characters. And then not only that, but I believe that, you know, if you're going to tell a story, it has to benefit where the character actually comes from. So... I know that he actually used the fan. My, one of my fan, fans actually used Luke Cage as an example. With Luke Cage, it it made sense to go the direction it went through, especially when you look at all um, Black Lives Matter movements. Especially whenever you looked at where Luke Cage came from, which is actually the bad end of New York, and also too trying to actually be a good role model for kids who are not don't have the best. Um, the best demeanor or anything like that whenever it comes down to parroting or anything like that either. And that, it just shows t- where they can actually go with it. Because here's the thing. It's all, all about character built up. It's all about characterization for that character and what suits that character and what is going to be motivating your plot. And so if they think, okay, well, this is going on over here in this political realm. Maybe it can actually go into this realm over here and tell the story the way that it needs to be played out with that character. And that's also another thing, too, is with... I'm going to use this as an example, too, because comic books do this, too. It's not just movies. Comic books do this all the time. Like DK3, it has stuff to do with Trump. And then even with um, the, uh, the very first Dark Knight, uh, Returns graphic novel, it had to do with Nixon and stuff like that in the 1980s. So therefore, they actually had it, so therefore they told the story in a 1980s setting with some political agenda, same thing with a 2020 agenda, and it actually benefits the whole entire movement of the characters 
and also plot developments. Now, if they just went on ahead and just grabbed certain things from other political stuff and just threw that in just for the sake of throwing it in, it, the, it wouldn't have been that great of a build-up. It wouldn't have that kind of feel to where it would have motivation for the characters. It would just be there just for the sake of being there. And I feel like this, if it's there to motivate the plot, if it's there to motivate the characters, if it's there to motivate other things within the universe that the directors and writers are actually trying to create, I'm all for it. And there's also going to be some other movies that are not going to be about environmental. There's going to be some movies that are not going to be gravitating towards any type of political realm or anything like that. Some movies are just there just for pleasure. Like, let's look at the Fast and the Furious franchise, for instance. That's just an example. It's just a fun time at the movies without thinking about politics or anything like that because of the fact that we're we're so crowded in with stuff that's going on in our world today. So therefore, we want to be able to escape from reality for a couple of hours and stuff our Facebook popcorn and watch Vin Diesel show off his abs and his muscles for a little bit and watch corny one-liner parts and just escape from reality. And that's what we got. Now, I do have to say... I know that I said this about Star Wars. Now, the opening scene for Rogue One kind of reminded me of the opening season, not opening season, but the opening scene for uh, Inglorious Bastards, where you see one of Hitler's henchmen come into this farm, and he's explaining the ground rules if you hide a Jewish person inside the house and stuff like that, and... There's consequences behind it. And that's also the same thing when you see one of Darth Vader's henchmen comes comes into this farmhouse and everything. And he's pretty much telling them, look, if you go on ahead and um, don't do what I tell you to do, don't give me the blueprints or anything like that, I'm going to kill you. So other than that, I don't really see a connection with any type of political agenda or anything like that. I just see it as a good time at the movies, even if it's like loosely based I don't breathe a lot into it. And yes, I can definitely tell with, like, Avatar, that is environmental type of movie statement about how we kill billions of, of trees for God knows how long with pollution and stuff like that. And matter of fact, Ferngully even went into that as well. So Avatar's not the only one that actually went into it. And I'm just basing it off of the examples that you gave me, but... I'm going to say, there's some movies that are just there for pleasure, and there's some movies that make you think, and then there's some TV shows that actually make you think as well. And some some TV shows are just there just to make you laugh, make you forget what's going on around you for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, and just have a good time without having to think about all this political crap or whatever else is going on in your life. Because don't forget, the world is busted up, and... For us to go out to a movie for two and a half hours to forget about things that are going around us or watch a TV show, you know, that's what we need to do. We just need to go on ahead, forget about what's going on around us and just focus in on watching a movie for two and a half hours or a TV show or sitcom. But that's just my take on it. You know, tell me what you guys have to say about that. That's going to do it for me for tonight's podcast, but I hope that you guys stick around for tomorrow because I'm probably going to have some more stuff that I'm going to talk about, but I'm also going to tell you this. I'm going to have a link in the description below where you can actually, if I've run into any type of errors or anything like that, go on ahead. Send me a voicemail message because I'm, I'm human. I make mistakes. So 
Tell me what you liked about the show. Tell me what you didn't like about the show. Tell me what I can do better for the show and for you as an audience member. Because I actually care about the material that I actually put on the show. And, of course, and until next time. Bye-bye.